Hi folks, this is Shag. And this is Stella. The audio you're about to hear was actually recorded a little while ago, before the passing of Yvonne Craig. And as she's obviously incredibly well-known for a number of roles, but especially the Batgirl role in the Batman TV series, we just felt like we needed to take a moment and, and talk about that for just a second. Absolutely. I, I don't think you can mention or think of Batgirl without thinking of Yvonne Craig. And really, the only posts, because a lot of people have been coming on the web and Twitter and everything, and really writing wonderful and touching sentiments about Yvonne Craig. But really, all I can say that hasn't been said is, or that has been said, perhaps, is just that she is the legend that started it all. And it may not have been the the first Batgirl that you have seen or the first superhero that was a woman that you have seen, but she really was that first one. And I think she pushed forward so much for just women in general. And it was just, uh, it was the perfect time to bring a woman out and put her in the forefront and have people idolize her. And, and what a wonderful lady to idolize. And I think I've seen so many times that these were people's favorite episodes and they waited for her on her bat cycle to ride past on the title screen. I, I've seen people say that over yes. and over again. And there must have been some impact. And uh, she seemed like such a great lady. And, and really, my only regret, if I were to be selfish here for a moment, is that I never had the opportunity to speak with her and, and say how much uh, she meant to me personally and, and just what she started for me with my love of Batgirl. And I think we all felt that way. Uh, those of us that have listened to your show or have heard you on other shows, I think we all kind of wanted that for you someday. And, and also, I'll just say I'm sorry that didn't happen for you. I, you mentioned exactly what I was going to say is, you know, as a kid watching the Batman TV show, you always knew when Batgirl drove by and the opening credits, that was going to be one of the better episodes because it mm -hmm. was always better when she was there. And obviously, as a, as a young guy, I probably focused more on Batman or whatever, but there was something about her presence in the show that just made the show more fun, more energetic. Now that I have a daughter of my own, seeing her looking up to female heroes, and she's aware of the Batgirl from the old Batman TV series. We haven't really watched a lot of it, but she's aware that Batgirl's out there, and then that immediately became her favorite character. Just her very existence made her her favorite character on the show. And it just means a lot to me. And what she did for young women and giving them a hero to look up to is just says volumes. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Well, folks, I think that's all we've really got. We're going to go ahead and head into the episode, and obviously there's going to be some Batgirl discussion in this one, so enjoy.
Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. And there's a slight change of pace on tonight's episode, folks. My regular co-host, Rob Kelly, who works in the movie trailer industry, is currently running around the country desperately trying to stop 13-year-old boys from downloading the Red Band Deadpool trailer. I don't know if he's having any success. But in his place, we've got a very special guest. Please welcome to the show, Stella from Backworld Oracle, a Barbara Gordon podcast. Hello. You know, Who's Who 87 is perhaps the best podcast out there. And I'm so excited to actually be invited on here. And I think I'll do justice to replacing Rob for a bit. But I'm a little nervous, Shag, because you forgot to send me the pages. So I'm going a little off the cuff here. You got to keep up. We're all about being improv. And if you can't keep up, it's not my problem. I, I've well, gone over. I've gone over to your show now three times. Okay, but I've given you the material. You, um, you've had reading to do. I didn't get anything. How am I see. supposed to know what's going you gave, on? You gave me Velvet Tiger and yeah. the Bad Era of Hawk and You're Dove. welcome, by the way. Thanks for uh-huh. that. You, you, oh, you're you welcome. invited me for Hacker Files, which no one but me and Cisco would even remember. <laughs> um, you know, it, you gave me a Starman. You threw me a bone. You gave me a Starman issue, which I really appreciate. And Firestorm. Your origin story on BTO is Firestorm. Storm. Okay. So what better gift could I give somebody? <laughs> well, we'll just see how you behave by the end of this episode. And if people have already turned you off by this point, then we'll know. Now, oh. as I said, this is – now, Stella was on a few episodes ago, folks. She was, We did that live recording with her and Tom where she spoke for – I think I think I clocked it at two minutes and 30 seconds. So we decided to have her here on this show. So this is the first time that you've come to our studio. What do you think? Yeah. I, tried to, I mean, I try to spruce up the place a bit. If you look over there in the corner, I hung up some, um, what do you call them, bat signal, like string lights. I just thought it made it look a little festive. I appreciate that. And, you know, you say you clocked me at two minutes, and I guess that's fair, but I like to consider myself like a fart, silent but deadly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's class. That's class. That's why we bring the ladies around to this show, folks. That's Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Wow. I think. Uh, I think <laughs> Are you trying to be irredeemable? <laughs> Are you trying to bring what I bring to your this show to happens. my show? I think this is bad. I'm going to take on your characteristics because I'm over here. Just so you know, folks, if you haven't listened to her show, which I don't think anyone really does, but anyway, when I oh was my on, heavens, when I was on there, I was fairly irredeemable. I did cause some trouble, and so I, that's I think I am reaping what I sowed there. Yeah. All right. Before we um, just put this down the toilet any further, uh, let's thank our sponsor before they hang up, uh, folks. The Fire and Water <laughs> Podcast is sponsored in part by In Stock Trades. In Stock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty-two percent off with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. Now, Stella, you being a guest, I wouldn't expect you to have brought any in-stock trades. Did, did you, Budgie? Well, I will surprise you, sir, because I brought two. Oh. Uh, two of my first. Yes. I figured I would never be invited on here ever again, so I wanted to get everything out there as I could. So you're just putting so, all your goods and wares out for everyone to see? Is what basically. Okay, yes, well, absolutely. It's sort of fitting. I was just going to say, it's it's nice and refreshing to have a guest who actually brings an in-stock trade, so you can suck it, Bailey. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, well, I try to be prepared. Yeah, two of my favorite stories. My top story is Batgirl Year One, and now it's collected with Robin Year One, and uh, the writers are Chuck Dixon and Scott Beatty, and art by Marcos Martin, and basically the origin story of these two characters, where Robin Robin is, is facing off against Two-Face, and Batgirl, I just think it's it's probably the best Barbara Gordon story that you can read. If you want to know the essence of who this woman is, I would definitely pick this up, and it's just so beautiful. 
and you can get it for $13.74, and it's originally $24.99, so that's 45% off the cover price. And then my other top favorite story is Identity Crisis by Brad Meltzer and Art by Rags Morales and Michael Blair. And that, uh, I don't want to spoil that because a lot of stuff goes on, but basically Sue Dibney, the wife of Elongated Man, is murdered. And I like how yeah. you just said, I don't want to spoil anything, but <laughs> well, boom. Starts. I'm sorry. Somebody is dead. Someone's killed. And it's basically a murder mystery with beautiful art by, well, beautiful covers by Michael Turner. And just, uh, I, I love the story. And that is originally $14.99, but at InSock Trades, you can get it for $8.24. So that's also 45% off the cover price. You're mocking my pain. I mean, I read that thing the day it came out, and I'm sitting in the parking lot of uh, a restaurant crying my eyes out because of what happened to Sue. It was horrible. Just totally. A lot of horrible things happened in that book, but it's still an amazing story. I'd also like to thank you personally for coming on a Firestorm podcast and promoting a book where Firestorm is, oh, wait, let me think, oh, murdered. So thanks. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Wow, you're really scoring points. <laughs> Folks, don't hold your breath for her second appearance on the show. Anyway, I'm going to promote, because it ties in with what we're going to talk about today, Nocturnal's Black Planet trade paperback. This is a collection of the Nocturnal series by Dan Brereton. It's what he's most known for. And he did these stories a long time ago. And these are the first time, well... I'm getting myself a little mixed up because I haven't read it, so I have to apologize in advance. I've read some of the Nocturnal stuff. I haven't read this one. Anyway, some of their first adventures, and it's been recollected. It's a 208-page collection. Normally retails for $24.95. It's currently going for 25% off. You can get it for $18.71. If you're interested in Dan Brereton, this is where you start. Nocturnal's Black Planet trade paperback. It is uh, really the, the beginning of a work he's still doing to this day 20 years later. And if you're interested in Nocturnals, there's like three or four other ones that are out there on InStock Trades right now as well that are, are somewhere up to 45% off. Again, our thanks to InStockTrades.com, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions. So be sure to visit them. Well, if the my InStock Trades plug wasn't enough of a giveaway, we're going to talk about a Dan Brereton book, specifically Thrill Killer, which was an mm. Elseworlds book. I, I had to do this research ahead of time, Stella, because I, I think you were reading the trade paperback, right? I was, yeah. And on the cover, it says Batman Thrill Killer, right? Mm -hmm. The original issues actually say, emblazoned across the cover, Batman's name is not anywhere on the original three issues. It says Thrill Killer, Batgirl, and Robin. That is what's on the cover. Wow. Yeah. So since this is a Batgirl-related story, why don't you tell the people at home, and please try not to be as crass as you've been, why you're the right choice to talk about Batgirl. Uh, I'll try to keep it Disney-rated. Why am I the right choice? This this sounds like this is a student council. Council election, why I deserve to be in an office. You know, maybe, that, gonna... maybe, maybe that's how we'll do this. I'm going to see how you answer this question and decide whether we're going to finish the show or not. Okay. I dedicate myself to putting candy back in the vending machine. <laughs> <laughs> um, there will no, be more seriously. recess if I'm elected. Yes, exactly. You know, Batgirl, I, I would say, is, is sort of my life, especially Barbara Gordon. Uh, I started the Batgirl, the Oracle podcast back in 2010, and it's, it's been going strong for five-plus years. And I just feel like I have a connection with the character, and I really know her history. And she is my, my favorite DC character, I would say. 
anything that I can read with Barbara Gordon is something that I'm, I'm certainly, hopefully, I'm going to enjoy. And I think that that's why I deserve to read this story because what a wonderful moment that we have that Batgirl is, is the lead vigilante rather than Batman. I think that was such an interesting twist, but I don't want to discuss too much before we can uh, go through the story. Now, we've mentioned your podcast twice. Uh, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find that? Yeah, you can find Backworld the Oracle at thebatmanuniverse.net. Very good. All right, well, let's get into this. Since Stella is the guest, uh, I gave her the choice of reviewing two books or one book, and since she's lazy, she chose one. Is so, that right? Yep. So I'm going to recap the first issue, folks. It is Thrill Killer Number 1, cover dated January 1987. But if you want to pick up a pristine, brand-new copy right off the shelf the day it comes out, you're going to have to jump in your flying DeLorean and travel back to November 20th, 1996. I'm not sure Stella was even born at this point. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that date. In the book, you've got writer Howard Chaikin, artist Dan Brereton, letterer Bill Oakley, assistant editor Chuck Kim, and editor Archie Goodwin. Now, I'm going to read a little bit. I kind of took some stuff from the back of the book and in the book and put together kind of an opening just to kind of set the stage. If you're not familiar with Elseworlds, nowadays DC would just call it another multiple Earth, but back then they called them Elseworlds. Here we go. In Elseworlds, heroes are taken from their usual setting and put into strange times and places, some that have existed might have existed, and others that can't, couldn't, or shouldn't exist. This is one of those stories. The calendar reads 1961. It's a time of transition. It's not the 50s anymore, the decade of Ike and McCarthyism and Jack Kerouac, and it's certainly not the 1960s of the sexual revolution, or the war in Vietnam, or of turning on, tuning in, and dropping out. In 1961, John F. Kennedy was in the White House, Elvis was discharged from the United States Army, and Bohemians were still considered perverts, criminals, and subversives. Like the rest of the USA, Gotham was jumping with giddy optimism, but no one could guess the dark days that lay ahead. This is the story of Gotham's two masked defenders, Batgirl and Robin. So the story opens in a secluded bar that caters to a homosexual clientele. We follow a group of Gotham City detectives entering the bar, and they're shaking down the bartender for bribes. The leader of this group is a corrupt cop named Detective Duel, who clearly, as you're reading it, is a, is a two-faced analog. He's even got a matching, you know, uh, half-scarred face. Interrupting the corrupt cops are our heroes, Batgirl and Robin. However, these heroes are distinctly different looking from the versions we're used to. Batgirl's clearly the leader of the duo. The statuesque redhead sports a stylized version of, her, of Batgirl's traditional suit, but with a crop top revealing some tummy action. Robin is sporting a bulky jacket representing his traditional colors and costume design along with a stylized goatee or soul patch. We find it's like out a Bat- Letterman jacket. It does look a lot like a Letterman jacket, doesn't it? Yeah. We find out Batgirl and Robin have been disrupting other incidents of police corruption recently, and uh, they're sort of an urban myth, but the people want to hear about them. So no capes for this duo, by the way. So they have no trouble leaping around and bouncing around the bar during the fight. They make short work of the corrupt cops and make their escape. Then we meet Police Commissioner Jim Gordon. He's a good cop trying to clean up the corruption in his own Gotham City Police Department. He's under a lot of pressure from the mayor to apprehend Batgirl and Robin, but Gordon doesn't feel he can trust most of his men. Therefore, he assigns the one copy trust to bring down the dynamic duo and ferret out the corruption in the, in the police department, and that is Detective Bruce Wayne. Dun, dun, dun. He's an honest and driven police detective, and he's, pe- he's the penniless son of one of Gotham's best families bankrupted by the Depression. Twenty years ago, in fact, Bruce was forced to sell Wayne Estate, and it was secretly purchased using a bunch of dummy corporations by Barbara Gordon, and it now serves as her secret headquarters for Batgirl and Robin. We also find out that there's a great divide between Barbara Gordon and her father, Commissioner Gordon. Some of this friction comes from Barbara's choice in men, specifically Dick Grayson. Commissioners always wanted Barbara and Bruce Wayne to hook up. And then we also find out more of the father-daughter friction stems from the actual death of Babs's mother, which she blames Gordon for. 
While Bruce is investigating the bar from earlier, he meets Blanca Steeplechase. She's apparently running the bar now. And in this universe, this is their version of the Joker. She's a gorgeous and corrupt businesswoman with green hair, white skin, and she's showing enough cleavage that you could go spelunking in there. She's one of the major vice lords of Gotham and apparently has a taste for her own product as well. So Blanca unsuccessfully tries to bribe Bruce Wayne. We later discover that she's working with corrupt uh, that other corrupt detective, Duel, and his goons. And their plan is to let Detective Wayne find Batgirl and Robin, and then Blanca and the corrupt cops will kill all three of our heroes. Dun-dun-dun! And that's the end of part one. So what would you think, after reading just part one, what did you think of it? You know, when you open this book, I, I think that the first thing that has to go through your mind is the art. Mm-hmm. Yes. And th- there are some weird things I think, you know, about Barbara's face sometimes is, is a little weird. But I just think the, the art is almost noirish. Like, it's it's so good for this story and, and how it makes you really get into the time of 1961. And that's really what sucks me into the, the story, first of all. I actually, I mean, I requested an Elseworlds in order, you know, to try to shimmy my way on here, besides paying you a couple, couple bucks to get on here. Uh, because <laughs> Elseworlds, I really like Elseworlds what, wasn't, because... What, wasn't enough, by the way, but anyway, go ahead. Well, I, I, I invited you on three times, so once is, you know, not asking a lot. Um, Elseworlds are, I, I really enjoy them because you have characters that you're used to, but stories are just flipped on their heads. And so seeing Batgirl and Robin being the preeminent heroes in Gotham City, I think is such an intriguing idea. And again, like, I love this time period. Now, the thing that troubles me, however, is the the scene with Jim and Babs. Uh, just, I mean, the first time you see them interact, such conflict there. And this is one of my my favorite relationships because, you know, in regular DC universe, it's it's very beautiful, beautiful father daughter relationship. So that's hard to read. But everything else is just, I, I think it's a great noir. You know, something you would see with Humphrey Bogart or Peter War or something, which are older characters. You may know of them. Maybe they were on when you were a child, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for trying to relate to this old geezer. Much appreciated. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're absolutely right about the art being the first thing that jumps out of you. I mean, Dan Brereton is a really, really stylized artist. If, if you don't know who he is, folks, do some Googling. Uh, in fact, Google Thrill Killer, uh, DC Comics Thrill Killer, and you'll be amazed at just how stunning this artwork is and how it just grabs you. And you're right. It's very good for the period. And that's one of the things I think they did really, really good in this first issue is they really set the period well. I mean, I felt like it was 1961. It felt like a good period piece. It, I haven't watched a lot of Mad Men, but you know, you, you always feel like you're in that period when you're watching Mad Men. And it felt mm-hmm. like the period in the first issue it was really good. And having Barbara being the lead was really cool. Because mm-hmm. I, have, I have this philosophy that everyone goes through a Batman phase mm-hmm. where you, you just fall in love with the character of Batman. And most people tend to move on. It's not like they dislike Batman anymore. But then they find other heroes that they like more. Like, you know, you, you found Batgirl. Or, or in my case, right. I liked, you know, Batman quite a bit. But then I, you know, started to like this guy whose head's on fire. And mm-hmm. In my case, I've sort of, I've moved past Batman and I'm much more interested in, in his ancillary characters. Dick Grayson, Babs, Tim Drake, those characters fascinate me much more. So I'd much rather read one of their stories than a Batman story. So that's, this just was right up my alley. So. Absolutely. <clears throat> I have a couple questions for you. Um, you know, I'm not sure. We'll see. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. First of all, Dick's little, uh, his chin hair there. Yeah. I mean, is it just like a removable cap? Yeah, it's because a, it's, it's it's a fake it's a fake soul patch. Yeah. So th- things like that exist in real life. 
Yeah. You, you, I, you've seen fake mustaches in the store, right? Yes, but not a fake soul patch like that. Why not? Well, how do you think actors did it in Hollywood back then? I don't know. <laughs> no hair from a goat? Yeah, uh, the world didn't get interesting until you came around, Stella. That's right. No, Back in 1961, they were still writing on stone tablets and things like that. Yeah. Well, my dad does say that his world revolves around me, so I assume that's true for everybody. Uh, um, <laughs> that's one person in the world. And my second question is, in the scene in the alley where Bruce roughs up that cop because I think he was about to get some sort of sexual pleasure from the blonde, is the blonde Selena Kyle? Oh, wow. Uh, because that's, that's, looks very much like who, who we see in the in the next part. First, thanks for the spoiler. Uh, sec- Sorry. <laughs> second of all, I hadn't thought of that. You might be right. Now, the thing that bothered me about that scene is the the cops dragging her in the alley, and next thing I know, she's on her knees. Yeah. And I don't know whether she has fallen down, he has pushed her down, or things are starting to happen. I don't know what. Yeah. So that that was a little disturbing. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. I guess it could have been Selena. We'll have to go back and mm-hmm. check later. <laughs> and right. I think that's yeah something good about Elseworlds, though. You can't change too much. I think there are some things that need to remain constant. And the corruption in Gotham, I think, is one of those constants. And I'm so glad that Jim Gordon and just being the Jim Gordon that we know and love and just a steadfast guy and, and moral also staying constant is good. So everything else, I think, can change. But it's always good to have some center points that don't change and are consistent throughout the universes. That's a good point. There, there are some other changes worth mentioning. Like Jim, you're right, is a constant. But mm-hmm. Barbara, she is much taller. She's more statuesque. She's still smoking hot, but she's smoking hot in a different way. And she's uh, <laughs> I, help me out here. Like, how would you describe? She's very broad-shouldered. She, yeah. She's not a small woman. Uh, but she. I mean, very Wonder Woman, almost Amazonian. Yeah, that's probably the best way to put it. Yeah, but still very sexy. It's showing mm-hmm. the tummy. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that a lot of people ran around in the 60s doing that other than on the beach, but hey, you know, I didn't mind, yeah. certainly. And Dick Grayson apparently is, uh, we'll find out soon enough that that's not his real name. And right. he's apparently got, uh, like, poster boy Elvis cuteness. He's supposed to be so mm-hmm. attractive. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, we'll tell you what, before, let's, uh, instead of talking about it, let's, let's cover issue two, and then we'll, uh, okay. talk some more. Okay. Are we skipping over the ages? Oh, well. You're just dragging your feet here. I thought you'd answered your question. What's your ages question? <laughs> I, I did want to talk about the ages because Dick keeps calling, and this maybe you know you can relate to this, but he talks about Bruce Wayne being an old man, and I thought you were but, my friend. <laughs> I am totally until yeah, well, you record. Um, right. But, you can well, visit it's, me it's in the little, old, old folks' home. Exactly. So he was 16 when she found him in the circus, which you find out in the next part. And it's a year later. So 17, she's four years older, so she's 21, and Bruce is 23. Do you think these are good – like, do these seem like reasonable ages? For their activities or the way they're drawn? Uh, they the look, way they're drawn, perhaps. They look much older than those ages. Yeah, certainly. exactly. Yeah. Bruce yeah. looks like he's about – 29 at least mm-hmm. if not 35 honestly i mean he, he's got the rugged handsomeness but he's he is not a young man at all um, yeah. now dick could be any age dick dick could be anywhere from you know 19 to 25 easily um mm-hmm. and but babs i would say she looks she's sophisticated you know she's i'd peg her at like 27 maybe I don't yeah know. yeah i mean and for their activities do you think it's reasonable that they're practically just out of college well people grew up a lot faster back then i guess that's true yeah i mean 
Back in the six, like my dad in the six by, by 1961, he was born in 1940, so he was 21 at the time of this story would take place. The stuff he had done from being a magician to a rock, the leader of a rock band to almost going to you know almost being a priest to I mean, just the number of things he did in his life back then, astonishing. Thing people grew up faster back then. Mm-hmm. Nowadays we coddle people, and I mean. You know, like you, I, I think you're still probably living in your parents' basement at this point. You're so, you know, at your age. So I mean, we we keep people young now. Mm-hmm. It's actually an extension over the garage. Thank oh, you. Okay. Hey, you're like Fonzie. <laughs> you probably don't know who Fonzie is, but that's okay. I do know. One o'clock, two o'clock. Yes. <laughs> do not criticize me. I know culture. Okay. Let's move on to the next chapter. Oh, suddenly when it's the heat's on you, you're uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm pulling my collar right now. So let's move on to Chapter 2, shall we? And the cover date is February of 97. I'm sure Mike has something to say about that, but I did not talk to him, so I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> so Detective Bruce Wayne watches the construction on City Heart Plaza, and he's reviewing the actions of background Robin in the past and compares that with the dirty GCPD cops. And he asks the question, who are the bad guys anyway? At the Crescendo Club, Duel and Crocker try to force a man to give his business to Blanca Steeplechase when Backer and Robin show up and break up the party. Unfortunately, while the dynamic duo are able to get in some hits, Steeplechase scratches Robin's face with her nails, which happen to be polished with toxic la- lacquer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Polished you, with- you wear that on your nails, right? I don't. That's why I'm having trouble pronouncing it. Some clean GCPD show up. Uh, yeah, actual clean cops. And Backrow drops a smoke pellet, and Chain Robin leaves the scene. And Steeplechase and the three cops also flee the scene. And Blanca plans on using Robin's glove like Cinderella's shoe, hoping she can swipe some information uh, off of it and, and get some inside in- info on the duo. At stately and now run-down Wayne Manor, Babs nurses Richard and regrets bringing him into the game. She flashes back to a year ago when Ellsworth and Mayer's Wonder Circus was set up across a vacant lot that would become City Harp Plaza. The star attraction of the traveling show was a family of European aerialists, the glorious Graustarks. The rising star of the family was 16-year-old Richard... And he still has a lot to learn, and his father, Johan, doesn't exactly instill confidence in him. Calling herself Barbara Jordan. What a creative alias, huh, Shaq? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at her in the, in the, in the circus co- outfit. I'm sorry. You keep talking. That's okay. So Barbara Jordan uh, joins the circus, and she works her way up from Showgirl, not to be confused with Jessie from Saved by the Bell in that movie, Showgirl. Your favorite, I so, she tries to work with the Grouse Star Company, but Johan says, I never work with outsiders. While practicing on... <laughs> wow. <while> practic- <laughs> just busting out with that. I just insulted 10% of your clientele. While practicing on a trampoline, Richard is made fun of by his family and he falls off, but he's caught by Barbara. And it was love and lust at first sight. But now, Barbara wonders if she ruined his life like she did hers. Oh. At GCBD, Alderman Watt is wondering why Jim's men took so long to get to the crescendo. While outside, Babs comes to visit her father and apologizes, or wants to apologize, but flirts with Bruce instead. Detective Sands hands Bruce a package meant for Jim, and inside is a jack-in-the-box. Babs leaves, and Bruce wonders what her comments about him actually meant. 
Later, Bruce hands the box to Jim, and Jim relates the reason why he and his daughter fell apart, saying that she found his ex-wife's body when she was 12, and the blood pattern was made into a bat symbol. Jim never stopped loving his ex-wife, and he regrets the relationship that he and his daughter currently have. In a series of scenes, Beckrow is looking for information and tells Richard he needs to rest. Blanca discovers Richard is a Graustark from her big top connections and books the family for the City Heart opening ceremonies. And Bruce Wayne pieces together the fact that Babs is Batgirl. Wow. Outside of Bruce's apartment, he finds a note with a paw print on it, and he goes to the scratching post. Oh, a strip club with a main attraction by the name of Selena Kyle. After her act, she meets him outside, and she we, we learn that she got a clean slate and in return would inform on Gotham's underworld to Bruce. So she tells Bruce that the corruption goes higher and deeper than just the cops. There's the mayor's office, city council, and billions of dollars. She tries again to stick around, but he leaves. Doesn't want to catch the act. As the rain begins to fall, Bruce contemplates what it will take to cut out the corruption, and Batgirl has been tailing him and then finally confronts him, and he tries to get her to drop the mask and become a good cop, but she knows that this city just destroys those types of cops. And for some strange reason, they share a kiss. And Bruce lets on that he knows she is Barbara. So several days later, it's opening day for City Heart Plaza, and Commissioner Gordon makes an announcement that Duel, Sands, and Crocker are suspended pending further investigation. And at the Batcave, Richard is excited to see his family, the Graustarks, and Barbara tells him to go, but alone. And under the big top, everyone's super excited. They're enjoying themselves in the show when suddenly the Graustarks, during their world-renowned falling star, fall to their deaths since there's no net and steeplechase hides in the crowd so it's insinuated that she is the one who did this so barbara watches the event on tv the gcpd find selena kyle dead in an alley also having fallen from a height and steeplechase sits in a car with mayor ryan telling him not to worry about his re-election to be concluded dun, dun, dun. i know so uh we were both really excited after reading the first issue how are we feeling after the second one Wow. No, I, well, I'm trying to put this into accurate words. This one is interesting, I think, because we waited until the second issue to give origin stories, mm-hmm. whereas I think you would have expected that from the first one, but I think it was a good play to really set the scene and what is going on in Gotham City at, this, you know, at the time and introduce our heroes. And here we actually get these backstories, and... I think the the Richard one is the best one just because you get to know him, I think, a little bit more than Barbara. And I like that you see Barbara and her path crosses with him. So her origin story aligns with his. But she, I'm a little disappointed just because her story is very shadowy. You see that, you know, she discovered her mother's body and the bat symbol. And then through Bruce's narration, we see that she failed was failing lots of schools and went to Wellesley and dropped out and all of that. But you don't really get to see the behind the scenes that we have, I feel like, countlessly seen with Bruce Wayne. So that's the disappointment there. But overall, I like it because we get to see these these origin stories. But it also steps up the, the suspense because now we have Blanca 
on the trail. She knows what's going on. Bruce Wayne knows what's going on, which makes us all a little nervous that how are these people figuring it out? But people in the DC universe can't figure these things out. <laughs> so, uh, but, and, and again, we're getting to go to these great locales like the Scratching Post and the Crescendo Club. So it, it's great to, that we're not just in Gotham City, but visiting different places that make up the city. You know, one of the things that's interesting about this story, and I didn't realize until I was writing up the recap, is that there's not a lot of characters. There's actually mm-hmm. very few characters, and yet, with the locations like you mentioned and the background stuff going on, you feel like it's a much bigger story than it really is. You really feel like you're sort of all over Gotham and stuff, and yet it's really a pretty tight script as far as the characters involved. So that's sort of an interesting aspect. Now, mm-hmm. regard to Barbara's origin, reading this through, I guess Bobby Merrill is uh, Jim Gordon's ex-wife. And yeah. they've, they've been divorced, I think, eight years at this point, uh, or at least eight years at the point she died. Yeah. And she was living in Europe, I guess, because they said Babs was on planes back and forth to Europe. It was back and forth, yeah. And so she, Bobby Merrill, gets murdered at her place in Europe, and she's laying on the ground, and she's covered in blood, and there's a giant blood stain on the floor, as you said, in the shape of a bat. Mm-hmm. And this thread never gets picked up the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. What the funk? Yeah. I, it, I mean, it just seems like there's just some huge thing out there for that to unfold. I mean, are we just supposed to assume the blood splatter as the bat is just a coincidence and that's what inspired Babs? Mm-hmm. So that's her, her bat flying through the window? Yeah, and it, it also begs the question of who killed Bobby. I mean, if there's such focus, I mean, this full, this beautiful page, really, of Bobby there on the ground and, and her daughter holding her hand and then you have the blood in the in the shape of the bat symbol, not to be macabre, but it is beautifully drawn. And such focus is given to it that you feel like this is an important detail, so what's with it? And I don't know if they leave off because they want it to be like a Joe Chill-esque thing where you never really knew, absolutely, was he the one who did it? What were his reasons? Like, they just want to create this mystery, or it was a thread that was supposed to be picked up at a later time, and then it was just dropped. But for her to be the centerpiece, which I feel like she is perhaps the main character of this whole thing it is disappointing that we don't learn or we don't see as much of her backstory as we have seen of bruce because I've, I've we've seen that from all sorts of angles you know in every friggin yeah. movie too right you know i hadn't thought of it that way maybe this is the her joe chill maybe that's what this is yeah it, this is the the pearl necklace and the popcorn on the ground scene mm-hmm. you know maybe that's what this is so it's it's nothing more than just a murder maybe there isn't anything to it Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that. I just assumed it was a major plot point. Yeah. And, and I guess she – it goes through when he's talking about – it says Barbara goes catatonic after finding her mother in a pool of blood shaped like a bat. She starts failing in every prep school that will have her. She's kicked out of Wellesley and ends up joining a circus. So I feel like, like – story of your life a little bit, but just the end Absolutely, part, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's almost like the road not taken. I mean, Bruce Wayne, obviously he endured this tragic event, but he had Alfred, who was this very stable character that helped him through. And because I think Barbara was already a little torn away from her father, perhaps she spiraled down because she didn't have that solid, you know, backdrop to like prop her up and, and help her through it. Well, having her separated from her dad makes a nice parallel to what Bruce went through as far as, you know, as you said, Bruce was on his own. This puts Babs Mm -hmm. on her own. So it it brings her to that same driven, the the first person to put on the bat, basically, the the one who's driven to become that person. You know, she builds the bat cave. She she does all of that stuff that, you know, Bruce did in the other reality. 
Yeah, it, 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 it's a tragic story. It's horrible that happened mm-hmm. to her, but that's, that's what has to happen for someone to become the Bat character, unfortunately, in, in the way DC writes their stories. I guess it's not possible that Blanca killed her mother, is it? No, I tried to tie all that together, but I don't see how it could have been. I mean, I suppose you could retro anything. You could say Blanca was there and Babs didn't realize it, but mm-hmm. you know, we haven't talked about Blanca. Should we save that for later, or should we talk about her now? Oh, we can do it either either time. She's totally hot. <laughs> it's the first time I've I ever found her. I find her creepy. I can't believe it, though. Like, I will agree with you that Babs is, but Blanca just creeps me out. Well, she's hot in like a creepy way. Like, there's there is a scene in issue two. You're basically saying the Joker is hot. I know what I'm saying. It's freaking me out too. Okay, it's <laughs> it's very disturbing. But the way Brereton drew, I, I mean, I wasn't kidding earlier, folks, when I said cleavage you could go spelunking in. I mean, this woman is stacked, and she's showing it all the whole time. I mean, am I wrong? Her shirt's buttoned down to her navel, practically the whole stuff. It's like her costume, practically. Well, if you read the current Catwoman, I don't even think she has any buttons on her blouse. Um, so. Just added that to my file. Thanks. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> didn't even know I wanted to buy that. Now I do. So there's a scene where they're in the bathroom, and they're, they're, they're drowning this guy, because they want yep. him to buy his product from the Joker. And the two thugs are, are holding him down in the sink. Meanwhile, Joker is all very sexily bent over, pout, you know, chest out, butt out, putting on lipstick. And it's like, it is the perfect scene to tell you everything you need to know about this character. Because yeah. she's just casually fixing her lipstick, but she's saying, you know, let's see how long he can hold his breath. So she's saying something horrible and twisted, mm-hmm. and yet she's more worried about the vanity. You know, again, she's drawn hot. It's it's like a great snapshot of this character. And I yeah. I really like this interpretation of the Joker. It's very interesting. It's more likable than the male version, I think. Well, yeah, I will agree with you there. And she certainly has a bag of trip. Like, it's almost like she's the Joker mixed with poison ivy because she has the poison nails. And then later on, we'll see in part three what she, uh, what she does to Spoilers. Richard. I know. Well, I said we'll see. I didn't say anything. But I would be interested to see more of her backstory just because there's one comment that was very intriguing where she's in the car after she stole the glass slipper, which is really the, the gauntlet, the glove, mm-hmm. and said, I haven't had this much fun since I kicked the habit at Arkham. Yeah. So you kind of wonder how she got in there. You know, how is it her drug use that made her face white? Is there an ace chemical backstory? Who knows? Makes you makes you wonder. So and yeah. another aspect here is like her goons screw up and they apologize. And she's like, it's okay. Whereas you know, like in the regular DC universe, you know that he would totally he kill. Did. Them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into part three, and then we'll uh, we'll take a break. We'll do all the chit chatting. Okay. Thrill killer number three. This issue opens with Barbara driving her Batmobile into town. She's feeling very guilty for all the recent deaths. You know, Dick's family, Selena, Kyle. She believes that all these are because someone has figured out their secret identities. And in the same thought, she's worried about how easily Bruce figured out her secret identity. You know, now, take a step back from it. Never mind the fact that she's driving the Batmobile without her mask on. Yeah. Gosh, how could Bruce ever have figured out your identity? I can't imagine. Anyway, then we see Dick at the circus with his family's body surrounding him. Rudy, I think was his cousin, maybe? Rudy survived, but Dick's mother, father, and brother all died. 
Then at the police station, we discover Bruce has been framed by the corrupt detective duel for the murder of Selena Kyle that we saw last episode, and now he's about to be arrested. Episode? Did I say episode? You did. I may have. Go with it. So, uh, (laughs) as Bruce is being arrested, he then breaks free and goes on the run. Now, to protect Barbara's Batgirl identity and Dick's secret, too, Batgirl plants evidence, making it look like the deceased Selena Kyle was secretly Batgirl. So she's throwing the scent off of her, which actually works out to her advantage because she doesn't realize it, but this foils Blanca's plan to expose their identities in the newspaper. Just to sort of recap recent events for you about how crappy Dick's life is. So Dick was poisoned by the Joker. His girlfriend made out Bruce Wayne. He doesn't even know that yet. And then his parents were murdered. So he's been pushed to the brink. Uh, he arms himself with these handguns, and uh, which is something Batgirl and Robin are never supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he's ready to go out and kill whoever's responsible for murdering his parents. And then uh, Dick has an absolute emotional breakdown in Bab's arms. It's very touching. And then she utters the most tasteless phrase ever in a comic, which is "Welcome to the Dead Parent Society, Dick." Bitch. Anyway, um, a month passes, and Bruce is still on the run. He's secretly continuing his, his investigation into the corruption in Gotham. Meanwhile, Barbara is playing the role of the socialite to sort of maintain her secret identity as well. And our heroes discover the mayor is planning a private party where he's going to announce his engagement to Blanca Steeplechase. Everything's been leading up to this, and we get to this nice page of every one of the major players in the story is getting prepared for tonight. Tonight is the night. So the scene is set in the Penguin Club atop uh, the Gotham Needle. The mayor is taking a substantial payoff from the mob, from uh, boss Giorgio Lumati. Batgirl and Robin arrive, photographing the bribe, then stealing the money, disrupting the party. Now it's fight time. You get a great fight between Bianca Steeplechase and Batgirl, Bruce Wayne versus the corrupt detective duel, Robin versus Crocker, which I believe is probably a parallel for Killer Croc. Not 100% mm. sure, but probably. Batgirl breaks free, escaping with the photographed evidence, but Blanca takes her final revenge. She grabs Robin and kisses him deeply with her poison-laced tongue. And in moments, Robin is dead. The remaining honest police arrive at that moment. They arrest the mayor, Duel, Crocker, basically all the bad guys, except for Bianca Steeplechase, who manages to get away. Again, months pass. The mayor's indicted. The streets are now safer. Batgirl and Robin have disappeared. And Commissioner Gordon is reflecting on all this. As he's walking by, he sees a window full of TVs. And on the TV, on the black and white set specifically, is the man who is most likely to become the next mayor and his new bride. Her name is Blanche. And being that it's on a black and white TV, he gets a good look at her face, and the the whiteness of the screen makes him realize that this is probably actually Bianca Steeplechase in disguise. And he thinks to himself, could it be? Meanwhile, at Wayne Estate, Alfred, who is now returned to the estate, is there with Barbara as they watch Bruce take on his new identity, the Batman. And the story ends with Batgirl and Batman swinging above Gotham City. There we go. Yay! I'll tell you what, why don't we go to break, and when we come back, we'll finish our discussion about it. Folks, during the break, you're going to hear a couple of trailers for a couple of our friends' podcasts. Definitely not Stella's. And then you're going to hear something on the back end of that. Stella, you want to tell people what they're going to hear? Absolutely, yeah. I have a friend in the uh, in the music business. Uh, her name is Bubba Moose, and Bubba Moose does some creative writing and, and raps and things like that. And I sent over a load of clips, basically, of Shag saying... She's hot in, in a variety of manners. And I promise you, I there's no copying or pasting. Everything he says is original. So Bubba Moose has created what she has titled Shag Step, which is a dubstep featuring uh, the irredeemable shag. And to be fair, these were all legitimately pulled out of episodes I was in where we were recovering comics. One episode. Don't say episodes. 
It was one episode, Jack. Well, the reason I want to make the distinction is because I recorded a series of She's Hot for Professor oh, Allen okay. Quarterbin, which he continues to use this to this day on me, and those were all just staged. You pulled legitimate discussion out of an episode. So, yep. all right, folks, we'll see you on the other side. Does that mean we're going to die? I guess you weren't so tough after all, were you? Now it's time to send you to the next dimension. 291 original episodes. This can't be. It's still going up. 325 monster chapters. You act innocent, but you're deadly. Time to die! Dozens of characters, hundreds of enemies, and a whole lot of violence. That kind of violence is pointless! You see, Super Saiyans tend to be a bit violent. Oh, crap! Join hosts Donovan and Jesse. As they cover the arrival of the Saiyans, the journey to Namek, the battle with Frieza, the mystery of the androids, and the terror of Majin Buu. I lied when I said you could go, at least partially lied, for I will let you go to another dimension. The Next Dimension, a Dragon Ball Z podcast. Join the fight at dbznextdimension.libson.com. See ya. Do you want to hear the origin of Superman or Batman? Of course not. You're listening to a geek culture podcast. You know the origins of Superman and Batman. You've always known them. Your unborn grandchildren know the origins of Superman and Batman. But what about Guy Gardner, Blue Beetle, or the Phantom Stranger? What about Firestorm, Sandman, or the Golden Age Fury? Those are just a few of the stories covered in the Secret Origins podcast, a review show dedicated to the Secret Origins comic published by DC in the 1980s. Each episode of the Secret Origins podcast features me, Ryan Daly, and an all-star collection of guest hosts revealing or revisiting the legends of the DC superheroes and villains. And if you're already sick of hearing my voice on this promo, the good news is at least 50% of the talking on the Secret Origins podcast is done by a terrific guest from the podcast and blogging community. So check out the Secret Origins podcast, available on iTunes and at secretoriginspodcast.wordpress.com. The Irredeemable Shag. Thank you very much. Don't make, don't make me feel wrong for this. Wrong for this. Wrong for this. Just want to make sure we have that qualifier out front so nobody comes into this expecting me to be all polite. When they hear the things coming out of my mouth, they don't go. <gasps> no, you you wouldn't enjoy it. It's just me, uh, quite frequently saying she's hot. Who is hotter? All women are hot. Just so you know, every woman is gorgeous in their own way. Hot, absolutely hot. Strength of will. That woman just is sexy on her. But it is fair to say she's hot. It was pretty hot. Cause you know she's hot. Yes, of course I'm going to notice these things. Don't make don't make me feel wrong for this. I have I have my inner man child is about fourteen, maybe eleven. Maybe eleven. Maybe eleven. Because you know I'm going to say she's hot. It's my job. By the way, I'm just going to get it out there. She's hot. Trademark Irredeemable Child. I don't know if I don't know if I don't know if I my voice can hold out long enough to say how hot everybody is in that comedy. Again, it's a hot redhead. Maybe I don't know. I told you, I warned you. Like I'm this lecherous thing. Just want to make sure we have that qualifier out front, so nobody comes into this expecting me to be all polite and nice. She's hot as dawn. 
and she's super hot, super hot. Smoke, smoke, smoking hot. There is a scale. One, you get a nice butt shot of, of Dove. Thank you. Something about the white hair is really sexy. I don't know what. I don't know what it is, but it works for me. Yeah, check her out. It gets even, you know, sexier. I can't even say Velvet Tiger without it sounding bad. No claws, no claws. Velvet Tiger on the cover is looking hot. First of all, hot. And I have a weakness for redheads. Just saying it's kind of hot. You know I think Babs is totally hot. Yeah, check her out. The Irredeemable Shag. Thank you very much. That'll do, pig. That song. What is Are you okay? It never gets old. I love it. I love the, the shag step. That's awesome. I'm gonna have him play it at my funeral when I die. So I think my family will really appreciate it. I have a theme, yeah. I have a theme song. Oh my goodness. Well, yeah, finally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Thrill Killer ep- issue three. So what do we think here? We wrapped up. Dick is dead. Barbara mm. is now has, I guess, a new partner. Maybe a romantic interest. I don't know. We saw one kiss. We don't know where, what it may have led to. What's your instinct? Your gut on this one? Well, it certainly was a climax in every sense of the word, if you know what I'm saying. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, no, I oh, mean... Oh, wait. Hold on. Let me try that again. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. In fact, yeah. Lots of storylines wrapping up and everything is heating up. I mean, everyone's on the run. People are dying. And then we have this, you know, everyone coming together at the Penguin Club. But there are some unsatisfying moments and some weird moments as well. I would say it's slightly unsatisfying that Bianca runs away and that that never really gets tied up. And then there are just strange things where all of a sudden Barbara takes a left hand turn and decides to be this uh, this playgirl. And, you know, she's how, just trying to protect her secret identity. I know, but shouldn't she have been doing that since day one and not just now when when it's under pressure? And honestly, why are you going to plant evidence at an apartment that has already had evidence planted? Oh, no, actually, that, that's right. That evidence was planted at his par- apartment. But I think right. that's a little strange. And then her you mentioned she's riding around without her cowl, just some weird, I don't really understand some, just some weird character things. But it was also very exciting. Like, I I think I was reading this very quickly. This whole book, I would say, there weren't really any slow parts. It was very quickly moving, and I think the suspense kept up. But I, I would agree that this is a less satisfying part. Yeah, well, everything like I read some reviews after finishing it to see what other people said, and almost all of them say the whole story is a slow burn and like it just reaches a big climax at the end. And I would I would agree in that regard. It's like I didn't realize it until I read the third issue when there was so much stuff happening that it was a very slow building story. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's very intriguing. The first two issues, mm-hmm. I guess for me, I I didn't like the way Dick died. Yeah. Um, that was very sad to me. I mean, I'm I'm a big Dick Bab shipper, I suppose, using your language. Yay. And seeing them, you know, seeing him die and her ending up with Bruce, just like, bah! yeah, didn't sit well with me. I mean, let's think about it again. Poisoned once, she cheats on him. The parents murdered, poisoned again. He might as well just put him in a refrigerator at this point. I mean, that's about what's happening. He is the damsel in distress in this show, mm-hmm. in, in this story. And, and I didn't realize that until it all came together. But yeah, if you look at it, he is constantly in danger and she is rushing to rescue him. It's almost like when Howard Chaykin wrote it, he very purposefully decided to flip that stereotype of mm-hmm. the damsel in distress and make it the pretty boy is the one who's the one in distress. Yeah. Now, do you think was that relationship 
solid to begin with because we saw when they saw each when they first met each other, he had love for her and she had more lust. Do you think it ever developed into something more for her or was she it was very fleeting and Bruce is always the one that she wanted in this particular story? No, it's it's more like our relationship. Here's an eyes. I mean, he's clearly the boy toy and she's just having fun, but he's really into it. So I mean, that's kind of that's that's clearly what's going on there. And then complete silence. Well, I just I <laughs> had no idea this was my my biography. <laughs> Sorry, I'm airing uh, all, all what you guys didn't need to know, the, the behind the scenes. So we're going to have a VH1 special later. But um, the thing about Bruce seems to come out of left field. Yeah. Like, because she's, it's an issue too. You mentioned earlier how they have that weird moment in the police department. And then she's like, sw- she's like, oh, too many men in my life. I'm like, what, what did this turn into a romance comic all of a sudden? And then when they kiss and it's just like, really? Does Bruce have to be the Mac Daddy in everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't mean to hate on Bruce. I, I liked him as a hardball detective. I would have been just happier if he had stayed the hardball detective the whole time. And she's, you know, he's her contact on the police force or something, rather than him becoming Batman. Yeah, I but, think it would have been great had if we really needed to kill Dick off to have her end as the solo hero. It's funny, yeah, I really liked him being that detective. And there's one of it, you either mentioned it on one of your shows or it was actually Ryan Daly, your BFF, um, that said. That said, I, I think it's him that does not like when Dick Grayson was a cop in his series. And actually, that's one of my favorite moments in his Nightwing series because I thought that was so interesting just to be able to skirt those sides of the lines. Frankly, the Barbara Gordon Bruce Wayne relationship always rubs me wrong whenever I see it. And it popped up in the animated series with the mystery of the Batwoman. There was some flirtation there. And it, it pops up in post crisis. This was sort of part of her history where all of a sudden when she was younger, she developed this crush on him and wanted to emulate him. And I just feel like it's the wrong way to go. Uh, just because I, I want her to be her own identity and own hero rather than just a derivative of Batman. I, yeah, I would have liked her to, to stick with Dick Grayson and even if they were to grow apart, at least for her to, to be on her own rather than jumping into the arms of somebody else. And it doesn't even last. If we think about, you know, what happens in the the next part of the story, which we're not going to do, which so that's a bit of a bummer, too, that all this stuff happens and then the relationship doesn't even keep on going. Yeah, just just what Stella's alluding to is there was this is the original three issue series. And then there was a one shot special that came later called Thrill Killer 62, which tells sort of the next story involving Bianca and Bruce and Babs. And I highly recommend you don't pick it up or if you buy the trade, just grab the back quarter of the book and just rip it right off. Oh, my gosh. Just don't read it. So what would you disagree? (laughs) I guess I just don't feel comfortable ripping pieces out of books. Okay. What are you, a librarian or something? Well, I certainly am devoted to one because you know, Barbara is the librarian. <laughs> that <laughs> took me a I moment. I I had took to like, explain that. Yeah. <laughs> all in all, it, it still was. I guess if we were to remove what we know about Bruce being Batman and hogging the spotlight all the damn time, mm-hmm. it probably makes sense that he becomes her partner. You know, with Dick dying and them having a romance, and he does say he's trying to, you know, honor Dick's death and make it meaningful, and that's why he's taken on an identity other than Robin. But anyway, I guess it sort of makes sense from a storytelling perspective. It's just I don't like Bruce Hogg in the spotlight all the time. That's all. But it is interesting at the end that even it sort of seems like she's the leader of the two of them. We don't really know. I mean, it doesn't feel that way if you read Thrill Killer 62. That's true. Uh, Man, I don't like that guy. 
Art's gorgeous, you know, but right. not a fan of the comic. So, um, how do you feel about her guilt over bringing Robin into it? This is something I was trying to think about it as I was rereading it today. Is this something that Batman wrestled with at all with his first partner, Dick Grayson? Just the fact that he has this kid with him doing this dangerous thing, you know, being a vigilante. I, I don't recall, you know, in my reading of Batman in that era that he ever had that sort of guilt until we get further on, especially with Tim, I feel. But this is something that really plagues her because she mentions it a couple times that she brought him, she brought Richard into this. Did she ruin his life? She feels very guilty about it. Were there, do you know from your Batman no- knowledge, is there any parallel there with Bruce and Dick? I'm not enough of a expert on Batman at all to even tell you that. A lot of the people listening to the show could, certainly. So, feel, folks, feel free to write in and let us know if Bruce, prior to the death of Jason, mm-hmm. were there ever times where Bruce felt guilty for bringing these, these young boys into his life and making them part of it? I don't know. Clearly, after Jason, he did. And that yeah. guilt did, did right. carried on for 25 years, even though Jason's still alive now, apparently. So I, I can't answer that question. Don't know. What do but you she think clearly about had a lot of guilt. Yeah. Um, she should feel a lot more guilty than she does. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. I yeah. mean, again, you know, fooling around with another guy, and then he, the poor guy dies. Yeah. And then she shocks up with the other guy. I mean, and it just, I think she should feel really, and, and I guess we do see some of that in Thrill Killer uh, 62. She is racked with guilt. So let's talk about different components. I, I want to talk a little bit more about the art. A couple things I forgot to say about Dan Brereton. Now, he started back in comics in 1988. So by this point, he had been working in comics for nine years. And he had already done his first nocturnal story at this point. It had been two years before that. And that was the one thing I mentioned earlier. He did it for the Malibu Bravera line. And it's moved around a bunch of times. It's been with Dark Horse. I don't even know who it's with now, but it's been all over the place. One of the things we, we didn't talk about that I'm fascinated with him is, is the color palette he chose mm-hmm. for this story. Lots of blacks, lots of oranges, lots of earth tones. And those earth tones really make all the bright colors, the oranges and the greens and stuff like that, they just pop off the page. I mean, just the color... Is just explosive almost because you read so many like dreary colored panels that are still beautifully rendered, mm-hmm. but then you come to I don't know Bianca and her white skin and green hair just poof jumps out of you and really gorgeous stuff. Mm-hmm. Had you seen Burton's work before this? I have not. No. When I was reading this, it it, it reminded me slightly of Sin City, uh, those comics, just okay. because it's primarily in black and white, but. Miller would highlight certain aspects like blonde hair or blue eyes or something like that. So sort of like what you're saying, I think a lot of these important tones or colors were highlighted in this manner. But no, I, I've not. I looked up both of the, the, the writer and the artist to see if I had read anything else that they had done, but I had not. You'd like Howard Chaikin. <laughs> he's uh, he's right up your alley. He's uh, He's a writer and an artist. And when he's drawing his models, he always bases them on people in the film industry, let's just say. What type of films? Porn. Oh, my gosh. Why is that right up my alley? Just saying. Oh, you know. Anyway, speaking of which, did you – I couldn't put my finger on it. And I may have to ask that ugh, guy, Rob Kelly, for his help because he's an old movie expert. But it looked to me that Bianca Steeplechase mm-hmm. – her face throughout the whole thing was very, very particularly rendered. Mm-hmm. She had a consistent look throughout the story, and I couldn't put my finger on it, but she looked like a famous movie star, like old time. I mean, I know you're thinking old time, meaning like 2003 and Justin Bieber, but I'm talking what? long time ago. Well, I was like thinking that. Marilyn Monroe, maybe? 
Yeah, I'm talking like 1950s or something. Yeah, I don't think it's Marilyn Monroe. Maybe it is. I don't know. Rob's my resident movie expert, mm-hmm. so I may have to ask him to take a couple looks uh, looks at some of these screen uh, these shots of, of Bianca. But it looks to me like she's supposed to be some famous starlet, and we're supposed to know who it is, and I can't place it. Betty Davis. Maybe I don't know. I I, I don't know my old movies enough. I mean, I oh, and know you criticize me? Are. How rude. Do you know, I was born much, 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 much later than all of those actors we were just talking about. I'm not as old as you think I am. These kids today. So, all right, since we're talking about Bianca, uh, let's talk about her character. First of all, Bianca Steeplechase. I couldn't figure out what that name, like, if that name's a reference to anything, Mm -hmm. I couldn't figure it out. And I did a bunch of searching. Does it mean anything? Uh, Bianca sounds like Blanca, which sounds like, you know, uh, another word for white. But Steeplechase? Yeah. You know, horses? You know, I... I got nothing on that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And, and, and it could be, I hate to do this, but I'm going to reference the story that I despise, The Killing Joke, and okay. the fact that Joker has this multivarious history or potential, you know, a multiple choice, basically, of who he is. So mm-hmm. perhaps, I mean, this is just a name that she has. The Bianca could be... Right, because then she turns into Blanche, which is basically the same thing. But maybe right. she she switches it up, and who knows what her identity was when she was doing her time in Arkham. I spent a lot of time trying to figure that out, and had yeah. no luck. And the thing, shocking thing about this, there's very little information about Thrill Killer out on the internet. Like every other nerdy topic in the world has all kinds of deep, well fleshed out wikis and all this <laughs> stuff. Not a lot on Thrill Killer. Really surprising because a it's a Batman related story, so you know mm-hmm. by that token there should be tons of people you know all up in it. And then it, it was actually a pretty popular Elseworlds at the time. What else you got on Bianca? I mean, I'm still sort of disturbed that you find her attractive. Look at those pages and tell me she's not hot. She disturbs me more than I find her attractive. I still don't. I I, I don't know. I think she's a good villain. I think that we were able to to get a lot out of her. And I was certainly not bored with her machinations that, I mean, she was threatening the, the newspaper writer. She had her hands in everybody's pocket. Um, so she, <laughs> she said, yeah, um, anywho, uh, but I, I think she's certainly a, a more well-rounded joker. I think you made that comment before, just that she seems to be a, a better version of the joker because she does have that insanity quality to her. But I think she's very focused on what she needs to do and very well well thought out. So she's almost a mix between Two-Face and, and Joker just being able to, to think things out rationally. Could be. You know, that, well, during my search for Throat Killer, there, there was a, someone wrote a book about the Joker, uh, an actual like novel in, like analyzing the psycho- psychology of the Joker. And it pulled out an excerpt of that from Thrill Killer. And it talked a lot about the, the special we haven't talked about, which is Thrill Killer 62. But without spoiling anything in that story, Bianca has a relationship with another female character in that story. And they talk about how it's actually, even though they're both bad people, it's sort of a healthy relationship compared to the, the relationship the male Joker has with anybody, meaning like, you know, him and Harlequin or something like that, where he, you know, he beats her and does terrible things to her. Mm-hmm. Whereas Bianca actually was pretty nice. Yeah. her companion in that story. And it was interesting just showing again that this is sort of a more well-put-together person than, than than the regular world Joker. And I think it she's able to mirror Barbara Gordon. If This this is a very female-focused, I would say, and, and as you said before, Richard is the damsel in distress. So we've got two female leads, and I think it's good that if our Batman 
version is Batgirl here, then our Joker version should be a female Joker. So I think that was good because I think it would have been a misstep to have a male Joker for yeah. for a female Batman. It makes me so mad that the trade paperback says Batman throw killer. Yeah. Now I understand but, Batman's on the cover to help sell it. I get it. Yeah. But still. How do you feel about Bruce Wayne? Let's talk about Bruce Wayne then, since we're talking about the other Because Bruce Wayne does save Batgirl. That he does. When that she, he does. Some, someone tries to shoot her, he throws that tin pan out there or whatever and saves her. So mm-hmm. how do you feel about that? Is that taking away from her being saved by a man or anything like that or what? I don't think so. I, I mean, it, it was certainly a shocking moment. And as I look at it, you know, I kind of think... Should she actually be alive? I mean, think of how quickly he does, like, Flash style, how quickly he had to protect her like that. But, no, I think that was a great moment just because you're not expecting it. She's in, you know, this danger. And then, of course, he's got his his disguise sort of like matches Malone, but not really. So I I thought it was actually a a fun moment where he's there and then he hits Duel in the face. Mm Mm-hmm. Bruce, Bruce Bruce. overall, yeah, I'll talk to about Bruce. I really liked his character, uh, and and such a change, you know, from seeing you've got Batman, dark, 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 family dead, and the playboy that pretends to be very happy. Here we have a consistent person who really has no mask. He's Bruce Wayne through and through, and he still has that tragic backstory. But I love how he has, unfortunately, he has a relationship with Jim that Barbara does not have. But I think it's a great relationship. And even when she confronts him in the alleyway, I think she says, you know, what is Jim or who is Jim to you? And he said, he's like a father to me. So you can see that he reveres him and and loves him. And just a great lead male, I think, you know, to be a cop, just like any Bogart, I would say. I liked how they made him penniless. I thought that was a yeah. very interesting. We've never seen that side of Bruce Wayne. I mean, they yeah. show there's a scene where he's working out in his dump of an apartment. Yeah, beefcake, little beefcake for you there in that scene. I mean, his place is completely. I mean, it's it's neat and tidy, but it's just crappy. He just clearly has no money at all, and it's you still see how he's doing everything he can to to hone his body and and, mm-hmm. and his mind, even in that situation. And it was, you know, no cray supercomputer in the cave this time. No. And uh, yep. still was a neat character. I mean, not taking bribes, all that. So I, I liked the Bruce Wayne character up to the point where he put on the mask. And we still see how his parents influence him because in that scene where he's working out, he talks about what he had gotten from his mother and his father. So he still have the essence of who Bruce is. But he's healthier. Wouldn't you agree that he's a healthier human being than he is in the DC universe, probably. Yeah, that's probably fair to say. Yeah. So what you're saying is money ruins people. Or the Batman identity ruins people. (laughs) All right. Good save. Good save. Uh, Because I know you're independently wealthy. So, Robin, what do we think about uh, Dick Grayson or whatever his real name was? (laughs) Richard Graustark. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm really glad you had a cover issue, too, because I wasn't going to get that down. Um, I love his removable soul patch, and I'm going to go try to find one for myself. My workplace is going to let me wear it. Does that count as cross-dressing? I don't know. I'm not sure that that's going to work for you. Although, there's a lot to be said if you have a beard. But anyway. Oh, gosh. Uh, What do I think of him? I questioned 
why he was referred to on a couple occasions as a gigolo. Yes, they did say that. Yeah, and I was, I thought maybe it's just because he does have this playboy air about him that people are assuming something about his relationship with Barbara because he is underage. I guess maybe they didn't have those sorts of laws or they're under the Romeo and Juliet law if that even existed back then in 1961. He's a completely different Dick Grayson than we see. The playboy aspect, yes, absolutely, but he's not as cocky as a Dick Grayson that we know and love in the DC universe, and I feel like he's more of a sympathetic character, just these moments where he's crying, he's weeping with Barbara Gordon. That one panel that I, I, to this day, each time I read it, I wonder about it, if you look right below when Barbara kisses Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. And, okay. <laughs> Where and he wakes up in a storm. He's, he's in bed, but you wonder this, like, does he think something's up? Are we supposed to basically judge Barbara for for kissing Bruce because here Dick is, you know, but I feel like totally what that is totally what that panel means. I mean, it looks like he's yeah. woken up in the middle of the night startled and he's in bed sick yeah. from the poison. Yeah. So yeah. And he's, he's certainly the rookie. So he very much is taking the place of how Barbara Gordon was treated in the silver age when she was trying to fit in. And basically there was this boys club and they were saying, you're not allowed to gain entrance or even Stephanie Brown when she was spoiler and the beginning of her tenure as as Batgirl, where she was making mistakes as well. I mean, he's very green, and I think he's yeah. much better than he was because we really see him fail at, at the circus. But just a completely different character, which I think is nice that, that we get to see more of the heart, I think, of Dick Grayson rather than the body. <laughs> <laughs> However attractive the body and the soul patch may be. I know you have a thing for his butt, so. Um, well, I get emails from people sending me pictures of uh, his his butt in costume. Yeah. I don't want to hear any more flack from you about the things I say. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's a true not story. Not a word. Not what- I, yeah, I know. But the same day you gave me crap because uh-huh. I made a comment about somebody being hot, and then uh, yeah, okay. Th- those two don't fly, Missy. Nice try. I, I had a hard time with Dick's character because he really is oh. a lot weaker in this. Uh-huh. He really, I mean, they do paint him, like you said, as like the 60s style damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. You know, he's emotionally not confident in the beginning. He's, you know, he's jealous of Bruce. He's like, oh, you like Bruce? You think he's hot, huh? I mean, just very much like a, you know, Archie and Betty comic where like, oh, you think, Ar- you think Betty's hot, huh? Veronica's hot, huh? By the way, Veronica is the hotter one, but. Is she um, brown or blonde? She's the one with the dark hair. Okay. She's the one that probably does more on the first date. So she's. Oh my she gosh! I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> that's going to generate some hate mail. Um, anyway, so a little bit emotionally weak. We see, you know, he, as you said, he's he's rough around the edges. The gigolo thing might come also from not only him being younger, but her having a lot of money. Mm. You know I mean he's a pretty face? He's a young boy hanging around with an older woman, and she's got a lot of money. You know, it does sort of scream that you know he's using her as a sugar mama. Yeah. Um, Even though there's only four years, and she's only 21, which is well, se- okay. 17 and 21 are a pretty big difference. So yeah. I'm just saying, when you were 21, would you have dated a 17 year old? No. Exactly. That's illegal. <laughs> Besides the law, having a conversation with a 17-year-old is difficult enough as it is, um, let alone having a romantic relationship. Commissioner Gordon, there's not a lot to say. I mean, I do like the scene where he's playing the piano. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's sort of touching. You get a you get an insight into him being mm-hmm. – he's an emotional guy. Yeah. 
one of those threads that unfortunately aren't really picked up because you want to see that relationship between him and his daughter fixed, but yeah. that, that doesn't happen at the end. But that just shows how much he regrets not having that relationship and how broken that he too was by Bobby's death. So it's yeah. almost a little selfish of, of Barbara just to like go into herself um, and, and not reach out to her father. But what can you do? Well, when you're that age, you, you don't always make the right decisions when yeah. you move to your parents anyway. And they do actually sort of resolve the relationship in Thrill Killer 62. Yeah. Uh, by the end of it, they're, they're a better connection there, which is nice. Duel is obviously Two-Faced. Crocker appears to be Killer Croc. The rest of the characters appear to be originally created for this. I couldn't find any place they'd been before. But the weird thing about Duel is that then we get a Harvey Dent character later on. I think Chicken just forgot. <laughs> Which said he oh okay. had, had, had created a two face already. So he shouldn't have had it, yeah. So the last character to talk about is really is Batgirl. I don't know if, if there's anything left to be said though. I mean, she's a great leading lady. She mm-hmm. really is. She's really, really strong in this. You know, again, we talked a lot about the Bruce and the Dick stuff. I do feel like Bruce sort of honed in and sort of started taking over her story towards the end there. I, I wish this trade paperback did say Batgirl on the cover rather than Batman. Yeah, it's great to have her in the lead role and not be overshadowed by Batman, at least for the, the first two parts. To a certain extent, she takes on a motherly role of, of Dick, you know, always telling him at least three times, I think, to get back in bed and rest up. <laughs> But and that's not I, a euphemism. No, it is not because yeah, he's he's ill. There's there's something I love the damaged quality about her and, and just the path that she has undergone. But I think that there was a missed opportunity with really fleshing that out and giving her a more thorough origin at the very least. But I do like that she is wrestling with this guilt about her lifestyle. Her father, because she does go to apologize to him for what we don't really know, even though Bruce says for the last 10 years, and then her relationship with Dick. So lots of inner turmoil. And But, you know, the third part, I think, just takes weird changes. Again, I just don't like her turning into a playgirl. And, and I get the reasoning behind it. Like you said, she's got to keep up appearances. But there should have been some consistency, I think, throughout the first two parts. And it would have been interesting if she could have been a cop on the side and then been Batgirl, but maybe that would have been too much. Don't you think she learned her lesson, though, after the first two parts about the identity, and that's why she plays it up? Yeah, that that's probably why. Though, again, why is she riding in a convertible with her <laughs> cowl off, and then she parks right outside uh, the manor? Okay, so I'll play devil's advocate then. The reason for the cowl off, I think it's pretty obvious actually as I was reading it. It's, it's for artistic reasons because you can see the sort of depression, uh, not depression, but you can see how things are weighing on her and her face. Like her face, I mean, it's really exceptionally rendered. Her face, you can see the weight of everything right there on her face while she's driving the car. And it wouldn't work with the mask on. You wouldn't get that same power. So I think that's why you get the mask off. It's really an artistic choice. But then Lee parking the car outside, you know, that's clearly her. She's just all mixed up with what's happened to Dick's family and everything. Uh, and then she says that most callous of horrible lines. I can't believe they, sh- they had her They had her say that. That was terrible. Yeah. It's like, hey, Dick, you're feeling really terrible. Why don't I make you feel worse? Welcome to the Dead Parent Society. Yeah. Jeez. But... I, I like the character. I think she's a very strong character. I like seeing Barbara in the lead role. Mm-hmm. The the physical changes to her I found interesting. 
she really when she was dressed up like in the green dresses and stuff like that, like just as a socialite. Yeah. She she looked really beautiful and Absolutely. very striking and mm-hmm. powerful. And I thought that was really great. That was a neat side of Babs. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was smoking yeah. hot. She was smoking hot. So uh, I, was, yeah. I was really okay with it. I think yeah, she just makes some questionable like personal choices with the whole Bruce Wayne thing. Yeah. That's just like we said, Bruce sticking his nose in there. I guess. I want to talk about the period. We talked a little bit earlier about it being 1961, how they really set the stage and you really got into that period. I felt like that was kind of forgotten as we move on to issue two and three. Like the period felt really strong in issue one. Mm-hmm. Like you really felt like you're 1961. As you read issue two independently and issue three independently, if you read it all in one sitting, it, you know, it's fine. But if you read issue two independently and issue three independently, I do feel like some of that was kind of lost. And maybe it was just he'd gotten that out of the way and he needed to move on, but it didn't feel like as much a part of the period to me. Do you think it's because no, I I completely understand what you're what you where you are coming from. Do you think it's because all of a sudden we were flooded with characters and story, so there wasn't as much time to deal with the setting? I think that's exactly what it was. Is you know he he did the setup in the first issue and he did it beautifully. Like you said earlier, there was no origin story. It was compelling. You were wondering. You know by the like when I finished that first story, I was just like first issue. I mean I was like wow, this is amazing. And then because it was you just grabbed you and you wanted to know more. So you're right. By the second and third one, they they had to get the story rolling, and so they didn't have time probably for more of the period stuff. You didn't you didn't need to hear about Elvis or Kennedy or any of that stuff. So as we said, this came out in 96, like straddled 96, 97. And at the time, you know, Elseworlds were just rolling. DC was cranking them out constantly. They had sort of expanded beyond just the Batman Elseworlds. I sat down and I looked at a list of all the Batman Elseworlds. And there's like, you know, five billion of these things. After this point, though, like, I don't remember any of them. I'm like reading all these names of ones that were published after this one. I'm like, I've heard of some of these. Like, most of them, though, I don't even have any memory of. The ones before this, I I remember quite clearly. Maybe it's just because I was buying them at one point or another. By the way, I figured out, well, getting ready for this episode, I thought I had read this. No, I had never read Thrill Killer. So this is actually my first time reading it. I was sure I had, but apparently I'm just a crazy old man. You you brought up these questions about whether it was, you know, how it sold. We did some research on the numbers. Do you have those in front of you? You want me to call them out? I don't have them in front of me. Way to be prepared. Thanks for that. Okay. I'm so, so sorry. So one of the other titles we thought about covering was Elseworld's Finest, which is another sort of cross-gender Superman, a Batman team-up. It's all about Batgirl, or maybe she's Batwoman, I don't remember which. I guess she's Batgirl. And it's Bruce Wayne, the female version, and Superman, the female version, and they're teaming up throughout it. And the art is insanely cheesecakey. And I think Stella was afraid it would just be me saying she's hot throughout like an entire episode over and over and over, which make that dubstep. Probably like cough out your larynx or something because he said it so much. Well, the dubstep would then be almost worthless because you just have a whole episode of me saying it over and over. So she said, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're doing something else. So, but by way of comparison, Elseworlds Finest came out in August 97 and the number one issue sold about 38,500 copies. Whereas Thrill Killer, which came out in November the year before, sold 51,000 copies. It clearly, the issue number one clearly sold well enough to get people's attention. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I looked also how it compared to other stuff that same month. And again, I'm only focused on issue number one. But in issue number one, 
that Thrill Killer number one outsold the monthly titles of Robin, Flash, Catwoman, Wonder Woman, Teen Titans, Azrael, Aquaman, Impulse, a whole bunch of other titles. And it came very close to selling the same numbers as Batman Legends of the Dark Knight. So considering it was a miniseries, it clearly got a lot of people's attention. I remember it when it came out. Again, I thought I read it. Clearly I didn't. And I remember a lot of people talking about it, which is also why I'm very surprised. There's almost nothing on the internet about it. I'm just stunned because I just figured, I don't know, whenever we do one of these shows where we're reviewing something, I can usually just go out and find a wiki and pull all kinds of facts. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I found almost nothing. What's your take on the sales and the reception compared to other Elseworlds? Because I know you've read a few Elseworlds here and there. I have, Yeah. I, pretty steady. I, it goes down, unfortunately, but the last issue is about 39, I think I saw, 39K. So it drops a little bit. I, I feel like it's not as popular as other things like maybe Red Rain or Gotham by yeah. Gaslight or Superman Red Sun. I think these those have become almost prolific. Mm-hmm. And this one has sort of slipped slipped under. I mean, I found out about this accidentally through one of my friends, and I actually found the copy I had at a at a used bookstore, which was a very exciting day. But <laughs> it's interesting. I don't understand why people don't talk about this one as much. And you'd think that because Mad Men was so popular that people would be really interested in that sort of era. And I hate to say this, but I'm wondering if People are not as interested because Batgirl is the lead and it's not an actual Batman tale. And that's why they put that Batman label on it so they could sort of pretend that it was male-led, but it's really not. Because I feel like people still are sort of having issues, which I, I pray that Supergirl, the TV series, changes and then when Captain Marvel, the movie, comes out. But people seem to struggle with having female-led things. Didn't even mention the Wonder Woman movie. Yeah, well, the Wonder wow. Woman movie. <laughs> wow! I'm just more excited about the. I'm just. Well, I'm just confused as to what role she is in Batman versus Superman. So I figured I'd mention the two that I at least know what's going on. <laughs> we don't know anything about Captain Marvel yet. <laughs> but I know that I love Carol Danvers. So yeah, true. That's, Agreed. Yeah, I do too. You're gonna get me talking about the Brian Reed series if I'm not careful here. You okay. know, I got the first trade paperback. Of that. Oh, the Brian Reed? Yes. Is that based on my suggestion or someone else's? Um, kind of your, because you said uh, that you like. <laughs> that was a nice. That was a nice lie. Okay, <laughs> kind of yours, but also because I wanted, I wanted to read more Captain Marvel. Well, she, back then she was Miss Marvel, so I picked up the the first one at San Diego, and I really liked it. So I hope to get the other the other volumes. See, I've wanted a female's opinion on that because I love that Miss Marvel. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and total. I know uh, it's. There's a lot of cheesecake yeah. in it. There's no denying that. Yeah. But I enjoyed her portrayal in that mm-hmm. series. I mm-hmm. felt like it was fairly true. Yep. I'm not as much of a sexist bastard as I thought. Um, <laughs> the jury's I, still out. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're uh, you're sort of uh, go, going after the crown this episode, young lady. I think they slapped the Batman label on the front of the trade because it does sell better with Batman's name on it. Mm-hmm. The Thrill Killer 62 last issue that should not be read really is very much a Batman story, and so they think that they can squeak it by that way, which is just, you know, disappointing. Now, interestingly enough, Thrill Killer had a little bit of a, a shout-out not too long ago. You know all these Batman Arkham games, the video games that are all out, that, that the kids is, the kids is playing? In the Batman Arkham Origins video game, they had a lot of downloadable count- content, and one of the things you could download was a Thrill Killer Batsuit for Batman. Kind of interesting that of all the different options they had for Batman out there, they pulled from that one. Yeah, so. and there are action figures that you can get. 
Or is it really? Maybe I should say collectibles. I don't know. Yeah. Yep, you can get, I believe it's only Batman, and it's actually on the back of my trade paperback, which is out of my reach at this moment, but there's definitely a Batgirl one that you can get. Ooh, that's sexy. I might have to, I might have to look into that. I mean, it's such a cool, the designs are so amazing that I, I feel like people really should give this a shot. And it's interesting because, you know, they came up with the Spider-Man new, is it okay that I mention another comic company because, Oh, we no, just talked about we're, we're DC exclusive, well, actually. Well, Dustin over at the Batman Universe hates when I mention Marvel, so I always am careful. But, um, you know, they did the Spider-Man Noir, which I think first he was in a video game, and then they created a story, which I love the trade that came out with his stories. It's just a six-issue, maybe. But they did a whole series of, they did, I think, X-Men Noir and... And Daredevil Noir. Yep, so they did everybody, yeah. Yeah, so it's clearly something that people enjoy, and I feel like I'm not alone in enjoying noir actual movies. So I'm wondering why people don't give Thrill Killer a chance. Maybe your show is what's going to be the catalyst to this. There's going to be an explosion, and it's going to yes. be announced as the next direct-to-video film. And then you and I are going to be announced as commentators on the DVD commentary. <laughs> <laughs> After tonight's episode, I'm not sure we're going to be invited back. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that noir thing. Actually, in my hands, right in front of me, uh-huh. is the Spider-Man PS3 game, uh-huh. Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions. Yes. It's got Spider-Man 2099, regular Spider-Man, Spider-Man Noir, and then black costume Spider-Man, or whatever it is. Yeah, I'm on a huge Spider-Man 29 kick right now again. I, I got yeah. sucked back in just so into it. So my stepson was going to get rid of this game. And I'm like, um, tell you what, why don't we hang on to that one? So, anyway. So I think wasn't Spider-Man Noir wasn't a miniseries first? Was it the video game? I don't know if I'm getting my timeline messed up. I'm not sure. Way to quote the facts. Well done again. The preparation you do for these things is amazing. You know that was off the cuff. Gee golly. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Right. Right. Okay. Well. It, folks, check it out. You, you will have to either pick up it in single issues or find the collected edition somewhere because it is currently out of print. Obviously, that would have been my in-stock trades pick if it was still in circulation. I'm sure it will come back around. Dan Brereton still in the comics industry, still drawing. It's still a breathtaking piece. Even though I had to talk about it with Stella, I still enjoyed reading it. Wow. It's been it, – it's a, it's a beautifully painted book. Absolutely. I mean, it is just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Well, Stella, why don't you tell the folks again at home where they can find you? You can find me on Who's Who 87, start with <laughs> Volume 3. <laughs> volume 3? Wait a minute. Did Rob get bumped? Yeah. Is this I don't think this, find out? This is a little awkward. I don't think this is the place to tell him. Um, should we text him right now? Um, <laughs> do, you, do you text strange men at one in the morning often? <laughs> Besides me, that is. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. People are going to take all this stuff at face value and think me a terrible person. I'm really not like this in real life, people. This is where I am at. Hit me up. You can find me at the Batman Universe. I do the bi-weekly comic cast with Dustin and Ed. And, of course, my own homegrown, no human growth hormones involved, Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast, which is also over there at the Batman Universe. And then, finally, I'm on a podcast. I was trying to figure out if I wanted to say what I was going to say. A podcast with a bunch of men called the Comic Book Film Review, where we, we take different comic or films based on comic books and review them. And we are soon going to do that amazing film that apparently Rob Kelly is uh, racing after, I guess, to take out of the box offices, uh, Fantastic Four. Oh, jeez. Where, where is that show found? 
um, comic book film review. Google it. <laughs> oh wow, you're really obviously well invested in that one. Exactly. They just they they just needed a girl, didn't they? Is that what it is? It's, and I wasn't even picked first. Dang! I asked to be on, and they said, "No, we have our token female already." So you were sloppy seconds. That's terrible. Yeah. Oh, jeez. That shows how good I am at podcasting. Yeah, it's cbfreview.lipson.com. I like how you rattled that off like you knew it, and you were just, you know, absolutely, around. absolutely. I just knocked on my head and bloop out the out 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 of popped. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it. If you would like to email the show, you can reach us at firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. You can also check out our Tumblr, which is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. We'll have some images from Thrill Killer up there and maybe some compromising photos of Stella. We'll see how that goes. Oh, dear. And then you can hit me up on the social media. You can find me on firestormfan.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, and Tumblr, and maybe Pinterest uh, as FirestormFan. You can find Rob over at aquamanshrine.net. And then you can also find him on Facebook and Twitter. I think that's going to do it. Stella, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really nice having you here for the last time ever. Yeah, thanks for finally inviting me. Good golly. Yeah, well, don't get used to it. So, uh, And by the way, I saw you put some things in your purse. I'd prefer you just took them back out, put them on the table. Let's not make this awkward, okay? But I really right. like your cat. <laughs> All right, folks. Until next time, fan the flame and ride the wave. What, what does that even mean? Fly on, Babs lovers. What is that nonsense? That's creative. Yours is just too nerdy. What?
I gotta stand up or I'm gonna fall asleep. So. Oh no. What? That's what I do. I stand up while I podcast. You know this. I'm gonna walk into the. I, I do. I, I turned the down. Fan. I turned down my ceiling fan for you just now. Well, don't die because of the heat. It's no. It's only. It's a. It's a very pleasant 78 degrees in here. So. I know, but you have to be careful with old people in hot houses. They pass out. You bitch. <laughs> <laughs> they really do. <laughs> oh my god! What? <laughs> the image of that. What the hell did I do? <laughs> oh <laughs> losing it. Yeah, because. <laughs> Because he won't shut up. You'll hear him through but the whole episode. He's no, like if I let him in, he'll still talk. Look, I've tried to, I've tried to have him in here before and do a podcast, but he thinks I'm talking to him, so he talks back to me. Oh, that sounds precious. <laughs>